0: welcome to the disenfranchised helping you to find a career path away from employment by exploring the franchise community my name's ed pennell and i'll be speaking with the entrepreneurs experts and leaders from across the franchise community discovering their life stories and hearing their tips for success away from the typical nine to five grind on this episode i'm speaking to simon bartholomew the franchise director of oscar pet foods the oscar brand has been a franchisor since 1993 Simon's worked with them for most of that time, and now has a franchise network of 97 franchisees in the UK, offering a complete home delivery pet care service to all pet lovers. Simon himself has also been a franchisee of a sandwich restaurant in the past, building the highest turnover store for that network in the world, and that was all done in his second year of operation. Finally, he's passionate about franchising and has been involved with the British Franchise Association for a good number of years. Um, he was actually the first person to pass the Association's Franchise Qualification (QFP) in 2011 and had joined the board as Chair of Quality Standards Committee in 2012. He's also elected to be the Chairman of the Association in December 2012. 20- 13, and now represents the BFA internationally as Vice Chair of the European Franchise Federation and as a member of the World Franchise Council. We're going to jump into the interview with Simon Bar Bartholomew shortly but just before we do, uh, just a quick note from our sponsor, Symphony um, and it's basically a way to, to save yourself some time. I think time's so important for, for everybody nowadays especially as we're, we always seem to be cramming in more and more. Um but we all know that staying connected to customers um, when you're you're in B2B or, or actually B2C as well is critical for any growing business or franchise. Um, but sometimes it's just really difficult to keep up with the demand. Uh, there's some stats behind that as well. So every year, UK businesses lose over 30 billion in lost sales and missed opportunities. And that's mainly because they miss calls or don't have enough time to give their customers the service they expect. So Symphony. The sponsors of the podcast offer outsourced customer support services so you can focus on growing your franchise or business while they take care of your calls, emails and web chats. By letting Symphony take the strain, their team of customer service experts will respond to your customers' inquiries and questions quickly and accurately while keeping them happy and coming back for more. Their expertly trained team provides live chat, email response, social media management and phone call handling 24 hours a day, 7 days a week meaning you'll never miss an opportunity now to find out more about symphony and their services for franchises or franchisees visit www.symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised all right so let's get back to the interview with simon bartholomew of oscar pet foods i hope you enjoy it and i'll catch you on the other side All right, so Simon Bartholomew, welcome to this in Franchise. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good, thanks. Ed. Really looking forward to today. Fantastic chatting with you. Yeah, I'm, I've been looking forward to it as well. We obviously spoke a, a week or so ago, and um, I like to try and prepare a few questions that that maybe you're not expecting, but um, it's it looking at your career and it's quite quite interesting, really, um, how you've travelled through kind of um, a couple of different sectors, but really found found your home with Oscar Foods. So uh, we're going to go into that in a little bit. So but before we do, I just wanted to ask you your your very first job.
1: Uh, Well, I mean, it depends how you look at my first job. I mean, uh, you know, going way back, I worked part time in restaurants as waiters because I'd always wanted to go into hotel catering management. I then worked bars in uh, Brighton on pop concerts while as a student, which was great fun. Um, But my first real job and what got me into franchising was working with uh, McDonald's. Um, And it was a bit of an accident, really, because I came out of university having um, been going to work in hotel management, but didn't have a job when I came out of university. And looking in the job centre in Brighton one day, I saw an advert for a trainee manager for a new hamburger restaurant that was opening. Um, with a company that had a chain of 15 restaurants in the UK Um, and I thought well that would be something to learn while I look for a proper job. Um, Applied, went to an interview, joined McDonald's and worked with them for nine years all the way up to area supervisor um, looking after five restaurants um, some in the west end of London and some on the outskirts of London. Um, And really never really looked back. It was, you know, the the training provided by that and the idea of franchising just really grabbed me. And my career just went from there and I never went back to hotels.
0: Wow. Okay. So uh, when I was younger, I think McDonald's was seen as the place that you, you kind of work if there was nowhere else to go, but I've since (laughs) learned that's not the case at all. You know, actually it can produce a really great career for somebody, can't it? So um, you mentioned about the training. What, what's it? What's it like there for, for for employees?
1: I mean, when I joined, it was very early. Um, you know, we there were um, something like twenty restaurants in the UK when I joined, um, and and I worked my way up from training manager, and and it was a really good foundation because the. Everybody that joins McDonald's joins at a restaurant level. So you have to work in the restaurants, whichever department you're going into, you have to work. So everybody understands the restaurants. And what really inspired me was I'd spent some time in hotel management while I was doing my university course. And a lot of the time as a hotel manager, I found you were a bunch of keys walking around opening doors for people and answering questions to people where when I went to McDonald's, you know, I made it to store manager very quickly. And by the age of 21, I was running my own restaurant with full control of the PL. and um, mm. Yes, I didn't go out looking for different suppliers. I had to use the right suppliers. But I was learning to run a business and learning the finances of running a business and running a restaurant, you know, with all the staff and everything that involved. Um, and it became much more of a management job than... ever was in a hotel and i think you know like you a lot of people think mcdonald's is a is a hamburger restaurant and it's a job where people you know start their careers and move on but actually i found as a as a manager in mcdonald's and moving up to an area manager you had far more responsibility than i would have done working in some of the bigger hotels in london and and I, i don't think i don't think you can beat their training in management it's you know it's years since i left but i was still stand mcdonald's training in good stead for for anybody that wants to go into management
0: i guess i guess that's an important reason for their success right it's uh, you know they've they've got a good management structure in place um yeah. from from franchisee all, all the way down right well even, uh, even above that i guess from the the franchise or staff so um shows that that kind of um rigid structure although it may not suit everybody it can can produce great results right
1: it is. And, and I think like any franchising system, you know, it is a very rigid system and the training product um, is there, but they train people to take initiative. So like in any system, you know, the, the rigidity is there. But for someone that wants to really get on and is um, ambitious, there are ways to work within that system using your own initiative. Um, and I was sort of looking in franchising as You know, franchisors write the rule book and write the manuals, but it's written on paper so you can fold it a little bit and you can change and bend it a little Mm -hmm. bit, but you just can't tear pages out. You know, the system is there to be followed, um, but that doesn't mean you have to be so rigid that it hurts the business. And, And that's the great strength of franchising is that you've got franchisees out there who... Who are running their own businesses and they've got skin in the game, as people say. You know, it's, it's their money they're playing with. So if you're you as a franchisor aren't telling them and giving them the right advice, they will soon tell you.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's that's interesting. So uh, did you did you have a, a connection with the, the the franchisee of of your branch or your area? Um, I think you took over an area well, after a while.
1: Yeah. when I joined the company. It, It would have looked as a corporate company in the UK. I mean, McDonald's was brought over by a franchisee who went into partnership with the corporation. Um, and I worked for them, um, and worked my way up just as I was leaving, um, or just before I left McDonald's, I helped them open their first franchised unit in the UK. Um, I then went out and worked with some franchise units in Finland with them. Um, and, and that really grabbed my attention to franchising and, because it was new in the UK in that country, other than the master franchisee, it was difficult to get into franchising. Um, And I was offered an opportunity to work with KFC where I was working with franchisees all the time. And that was my responsibility in KFC. Um, So I moved, so I would say, although I didn't work with a franchisee with McDonald's. I learned what franchising was and they wetted my appetite for it. And then I moved on into, into franchising from there.
0: Was, was there big differences? Because uh, I think, but, uh, between McDonald's and KFC, because I think uh, a lot of people assume it's it's pretty much the same, just different kind of um, menu. You know, um.
1: the operationally, it's it, and and management wise, it's very similar. I mean, they're fast food restaurants. Um, from working with a franchise situation, you know, certainly in my days, McDonald's owned the restaurants, so the franchisees lease the the restaurants from the, the company, whereas with KFC, the franchisees buy and lease their own properties. So when you're working as a, a in KFC, when I was working with franchisees, it wasn't just about the restaurant operations. It was about finding new sites, finding new locations, helping franchisees plan and build those sites um, and open them. And working with franchisees that were not only operating restaurants, but they many of them were building their own property portfolios at the same time of fast food restaurants, um, which put a different element to it and and learned, you know taught me a lot more about business in, in that respect.
0: Yeah, I, I find that quite interesting, actually, because um, I guess I've spoken to a few different types of businesses um, over, over these podcasts, but... Um, there have been a few that are that, that from the same kind of world, you know, virtual um, PAs or virtual assistants, however they want to be called. Um, on the face of it, I just think, don't you all just do the same thing? But I, actually, when I spoke to them all, very different, actually. And it, it is a lot down to the people and and the, the, the processes that they have. Um, so I think that's an interesting thing for anybody who's kind of thinking about joining a franchise. Well, don't just look at one in in an area you're interested in. Let's look at a few. I mean I mean, I guess you'd agree with that, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I've I came from hotel and catering and and hospitality was where I always wanted to be. But now I'm I'm you know, I guess I'm still loosely in hospitality, but I'm in pet food manufacturing looking after pets. And it's a completely different discipline, but the management style and franchising and the principles of that is the same. Um, and it's You know, to to me, the joy of franchising is as a franchisor is helping people develop and grow their own businesses. And that that can be the same in any business. And I think as a franchisee, it's important you enjoy the the sector you go into. But there are so many facets to that and so many Mm -hmm. different ways of operating it in every sector um, that you've just got to investigate and you've got to talk to lots of people. Um, And go to go to franchise shows and talk to different franchisors because you might you might think, oh, I want to do this because that's what I've always done before. But the beauty of franchising is you don't have to have previous experience. The training is there and you can just by talking to people financially, you can develop a passion for something that you just never knew you had. Um, And, you know, certainly that's what happened to me. My passion was in in. In chefing and, and waiting and, and the restaurant side, but I ended up in fast food, and and now I'm in pet food, and and absolutely love it. But you know, when I was at university, I would never have dreamt that I'd have a passion for working in the pet food
0: industry. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess on the face of it, it doesn't sound that kind of exciting, does it? But um, hopefully, we'll we'll kind of get out of you why there's some some interesting parts to it in, in a moment. But I'm interested to find out how you made that transition from you know the fast food restaurant world into oscar pet foods ultimately you know the pet food industry so how, how did you make that transition
1: um it was interesting because i i worked with kfc and, and then i was working with a sandwich chain that i i was a franchisee in so i had my own restaurant up in the preston area okay. um and and that was that was doing well and, and and we built some stores but but we came out of that and i was looking to I was looking to get back into being franchisor rather than franchisee. Um, and I was toying with the idea of becoming a um, consultant or, or looking at, at things like that. And then I met with um, Richard Martin, who's now the managing director of Oscar Pet Foods and his then partner. And they were just taking the business over from the founder. Um, they were They were family of the founder, but they were taking the business over. The founder had taken it as far as he could take it and was retiring. And, and one of the things I like about franchising is, is I've always looked for franchisors where there is a founder who believes in the business. So, yeah. you know, McDonald's, you know, in the States, everybody knows, was was founded by Ray Kroc, who, who believed very much in the fast food service restaurant um, and looked at that. It, it, and franchising came along after building successful restaurants Um, with KFC, you know, the Colonel had a passion for his recipe of chicken and franchising came about. In fact, no, it wasn't the Colonel that bring brought it into franchising. It was Pepsi. Um, But, you know, the, the founder's story, I think has always been really important. And when I met Richard and and talked about the founder and Oscar was developed by an animal nutritionist who, who started um, making pet food for other people. Um, what they call an own label brand pet yeah. food supplier. But he found that was very restrictive and he couldn't actually develop the foods that he thought were right for dogs, because when he's making for other people, you've got accountants and bookkeepers trying to keep the costs down, trying to look at cheaper ingredients and, and always wanting to make a little bit more money. Um, whereas working with franchise ease, um, Oscar found that they could control the product and they could control the knowledge base of the people selling the product. And that enabled them to really do what was right for pets. And it was that founder's story that grabbed me. Um, so I sort of met with them. And, and, and in my mind, I was thinking they were looking for somebody to work with their franchisees. And I was thinking I could perhaps do it as a consultant, um, but ended up joining them. And a few years later, becoming a shareholder and, and director of the business. Um, and have been there now... Yeah, I was working it out the other day. I've been there twenty years. Um, coming up next June, which is probably the longest I've been with any business, um, and and it just love it. Um, you know, there's there's nothing better than spending your life um working with franchisees helping them grow their business and when that's in a business that's helping people look after their pets um and meeting pets and and talking about pets all the time and and going into offices where there's dogs running around all the time <laughs> it's just it's just a great way of living absolutely fantastic
0: yeah sounds good and um just to go back to that founder's story um so on the face of it i thought you know when i first had my my pets it was you just get them tins and just, you know, that, that's it. Whiskers off you go. And um, they're happy, but I, I don't realize how um, bad that type of food on a regular basis can be for the cat's teeth and, and things like this. And both of my cats now are on um, special cat food for, you know, urinary issues, teeth, <laughs> At old age, you know, all sorts of things. That I just didn't realize that there was out there, but I guess, um, it makes sense when people love their animals so, so deeply that they should actually look after their nutrition as well. Um, so I, I guess what I wanted to, to find out is, you know, do you have teams of scientists in the background that are sort of developing this food or, or yeah, how, how does it kind of work? How do you kind of keep on top of the latest trends within, in that world as a, as a business?
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean. Our our business is broken into different centers. So we we have the support center that looks after franchise recruitment and training and and bringing those on. We've then got um, within that center, we've got um, a a team of helpline people. So we've got behaviorists and nutritionalists that are helping franchisees and and helping with the training, looking at the products. Um, We have a product center that is very much looking at trends within the industry. Um, and looking at what happens and looking at the nutritional science. Then behind that, not as employees, but as consultants, we've got vets and nutritionists that are continually looking for us. Um, A lot of our foods were originally developed by a a Cambridge nutritionist who was a human nutritionist, then broke into pets. Um, And it's a great advantage because, you know, when you go into a vet, there there are books behind him on the bookshelf written by um, Dr. David Frape, who was one of our major... Um, nutritionists in the early days, and they developed the food. Um, and w- with, with our, what we find with customers is, you know, people are beginning to look at what's in their food, but for a lot longer than we've looked in our own food. Um, pet lovers have looked at what's in theirs. Um, and the key, I believe very much the key to our success is we have always operated what we call an honest label policy. So, you know, if if, if you buy a bag of chicken and rice from us, then that is chicken and rice. And we will tell you exactly what's in the food um, and we will never vary it. Um, one of the things that happens in the pet food industry is, is many, many companies will lose what they use, what they call um and price-based formulation. so they will have a recipe for a food that varies from week to week because of the prices of the, the raw ingredients. Um, so they will sell um, something called chicken and rice, and it will have significant amounts of chicken, but it will have other meat in there as well. And they will label that as meat and animal derivatives with a minimum amount of chicken, um, which they'll declare. But then the other meat could be any meat that they want to put in that week, so it will vary. And and with with dogs and cats in particular, it's very important to keep the diet stable um, so that they know, you know, so, so you know what you're feeding them. Um, and our honest label means our franchisees, customers can be confident that every bag they buy is exactly the same as the bag before. We don't change the recipe um, unless, of course, we reformulate the foods. And if we do, then everybody knows. And it means it's very easy. Um, and if you have a, a dog with an intolerance to a particular product, it's very easy to find a product in our range that doesn't have that in and never will have that in. So you can be confident that you're not going to cause any problems for your pet as you move forward. Yeah. But but as well as that, we, we're also much more because our, the business is very much about building relationships. So. Our franchisees really aren't selling a bag of dog food. What they're selling is their expertise and their advice to help you look after your pet in a healthy way. Um, and and that's what makes the life of our franchisees so much fun because they're building relationships with owners and their pets. Um, and, and to me, there's nowhere else you can buy pet food where the person you're buying it from will know personally about your pet and, and the pet will know them and can <laughs> give you that sort of advice.
0: So, uh, are, the, are the the franchisees that, that join your business then, are they coming from a, a veterinary background or something like this? Or, you know, could someone like me who's, you know, got got pets and a passion for it maybe, um, can, could I join, you know, with the, the right attitude and approach, of course?
1: As long as you could get through the interview with me, Ed, we'd would, <laughs> would, would, would let you join. <laughs> um, of course. But- <laughs> but like most franchises, we don't look for anybody with particular experience. Um, we we will give all the training that's necessary, so people joining us don't necessarily have pet experience in business. Um, certainly, the vast majority of our franchisees, probably ninety nine percent of them, are pet lovers before they join us. Um, you know, we've got one or two that don't have pets themselves and, and never would, but but the vast majority of our franchisees are pet owners and always have been. And they they show that interest, but then we will train them in nutrition um, and we take our people up to um, a cert cam, an Ofqual registered exam that we we sit them through in terms of pet nutrition and teach them enough to be qualified pet nutritionists. Um, And then they have the backup of all our behaviorists and nutritionists and vets on hand for them to call. Um, So they've got all the advice and the experience and the training from us to move forward and become experts in their own field um, with the backup of other experts that they can talk to
0: if need be. So it's pretty cool. And I I, I was looking on the website and um, it's kind of a, well, it looks like it's hand delivered, you know, these, um, these packages is, is that that right? You know, or or are they opening a shop and, and people are coming to them? No, our
1: franchisees deliver direct to the door. So it is a, it's delivery direct. So, you know, our franchisees will go out, they'll find their own customers. They'll meet people, they'll give them the advice. And then, you know, one of the benefits of our system is, is, you know, we we have a tagline of you call I fetch. Um, and if you're a customer of ours and you will call your franchisee or the franchisee will call you and tell you it's about time for another bag of food. And then it is the franchisee that turns up. Um, uh, our franchise is a man in a van franchise. So very few of our franchisees have anybody that works for them. Some of them do have some, some drivers to help them on, on occasions, but most of them are doing all the work themselves. So they're out meeting their customers. They're talking to their customers. They're delivering it. So when you crawl, call Neil for your next bag of food, if Neil's your franchisee, it will be Neil come in his sign written van. It will be Neil that will come up the door and, and welcome you and, and talk to your pets and, you get the same person every single time same standard of training and and that's the beauty of our system you know not only do we control our product but we control the knowledge and the training that our franchisees have so we know that the people handling our products and and passing them on to our cust end users you know have all the training that they need to give the right advice and to give the best advice they can to our our customers.
0: Yeah, that's good. And I guess it gives the, the customer an opportunity to ask questions face to face and say, could you take a look and see what you think? And whilst, you know, perhaps can't give medical advice, could get, say to them, this is, I'd take them to the vets or, okay, we see this regularly. This is something that maybe it's a changing diet that needs to happen. I guess that can happen in that kind of instance as well. That's right, and and you know we're we're very careful of making sure that that people
1: that need a vet that don't that you know yeah. are talking to our franchisees because they want to try try and save the money of going <laughs> to the vet. But you know we're not vets, we're not medical. No. So first sign of anything like that, we will go. Um, our behaviourists will will give advice on behaviour for almost anything. Um, obviously, if somebody's calling with aggressive dogs, then they need to see somebody, not have a telephone appointment. But other than that, we can do an awful lot of work with people on the phone. Um, and our franchisees go through that training, and most of them are trained and go through our our, our, our CPD things with further training, so that they become more and more um, qualified as they they progress. Um, but one of the really powerful things and, and something I talk about in the training is because our franchisees meet their customers directly and that the, the customers are talking to the business owner, there is that big relationship there and they're talking to somebody that really cares. So our franchisees quite often get asked questions they don't know the answer to. And, and it's really easy just to say to a pet owner, you know, it's an interesting question. I've not come across that before. Um, and And to be honest, I don't know the answer, but I know someone that will and I will get the answer for you and come back to you within a few days. Um, and and uh, what I always say in training is that never impresses a customer, but what impresses a customer is when you get back to them in three or four days with the answer, because um, that's what most people are not, ex- not, you know, not used to. You know, most shops or, or anything you go into and they say, we'll get the answer, you're chasing them for the answer. Whereas our franchisees really do have the backup of experts and, and the network. You know, I mean, let's yeah. not forget that the network of our franchisees is a huge database of, of information for our franchisees to share and they'll get the answer and come back to the customer. So you know, we very rarely come across a problem that we can't resolve for a customer in terms yeah. of looking after their pets.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a good point, actually. Um, I was thinking, you know, when you, you look at one of the big supermarket chains, uh, the big thing that you do miss is that kind of, conversation sometimes when you're unsure about a product that you're buying and especially with um, uh, you know cat food you can only read what the marketing message on the back of the 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 packaging says really you you can't really determine is this one going to be right for uh, this particular issue with my my pet or not so um, yeah it it, it makes it it makes sense and um, I really like that model actually because um, if you're passionate about animals, you go around seeing an animal all day long, you know, different ones, and they're kind of your little yeah. community, I guess.
1: Exactly. And, you know, you buy food from a supermarket, there are no pet experts in the local supermarket. And to be fair, even if you go into some of the bigger pet shops um, that are out there now, you know, some of their staff are very well trained. But the trouble is when you go and buy it, you're there on a Saturday and you're talking to the the people are at school during the week and working on a Saturday job, and they don't have the training that's necessary. And and to be honest, particularly with pet foods, and 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 to a certain extent with with um, human food, you know, if you want to read the the labels on food, you need somebody to guide you through and how to read that label anyway, because labels don't always say what you think they're going to say. Um, some marketing companies are very good at making things look at look at one thing look like one thing yeah actually there's something completely different of, of course that's i mean that's
0: that's a whole whole nother world completely isn't it the uh the kind of um green labels on things and um well i, I watched the documentary about uh the fishing industry and the the regulation the regulatory boards and there are a shocking, yeah. but I, I won't go too far down that that road at the moment. But <laughs> it, it, when you was talking about the um the the, the, the true labels, uh, the honest it, was it honest labels, true brand? Sorry, honest honest label policy that we have. Yeah, we will tell you exactly what's in the food, and it will always be the same. So that's it. it. It it made me think about how important that is in today's world, actually. And you can see the big brands doing it all the time, like McDonald's, for example. They, they pretty much walk you through every step of their process to, to say this is what actually goes into our burgers because everyone's very conscious, aren't they, as to what goes into that food. So yeah. I think it makes total sense to have that on, on um, your, your pet food as well. So, um, yeah. yeah. So obviously 20 years with um, Oscar and, um, you know, a career before that in, in, in franchising with fast food brands, but then also being a franchisee what 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 things have what have been the kind of key things that you've learned from that experience um that you think other people should be aware of before moving into the franchising world um I think you know I mean firstly I'd
1: say you know anybody that's looking at coming into franchising is looking to to run their own business and and that I think the main bit of advice that everybody misses is. I mean, I always argue that franchising is the best business model there is. I think it's, you know, if franchisees and franchisors work together, there is no stronger business model. So anybody looking to go into business, I would recommend them look at franchising. But the most important part of advice I could give anybody that wants to work for themselves and own their own business is go out and do it. Um, you know, to me, the worst thing in life is to come to the end of your life sitting there thinking, I wish I'd done that, or I wish I'd done that. Um, and it's, you know, ha- having been a franchisee as well as a franchisor, I promise anybody, you know, what, if you start your own business, you'll have never had so much fun. Yeah. You'll have never worked so hard um, and and you really do have to work hard. Um, and it's, and it's not always easy. Franchising will minimise the risk, but it's not necessarily easy and it is hard work, um, but there is nothing that's as, as, as much fun or as rewarding as running your own business. And, you know, I'd, I'd recommend people to do that. And I think, you know, find a system that they believe in. Um, you know, my personal belief is that you, you need to find systems with a really good founder story, as I said earlier. I think, you know, if you, if you find a business that's been built around the principles of the founder and has then gone into franchising and found franchising as a, a way of growing the business that they love rather than a company that, that has looked for something they can franchise – is my belief, but then, you know, that's not always necessary. So I'd, I'd look for a system that had a really good founder story. I'd look for one that you believe in and you can enjoy working in. Um, but remember, when, once you start a franchise, it, 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 it's not easy. It's, it's difficult. And, and the, the roles of, of franchisors and franchisees sometimes get a little bit blurred. And the franchisor's responsibility is to build a system. But it's the franchisees' responsibility to follow that system and work the system and build the business themselves. It's not the franchisor's responsibility to build a franchisee's business. And I think um, now I always like that the analogy. I'm, I'm reading one of his books at the moment. And the analogy, and I know, I know Ed, you've spoken to Scott Greenberg, and yes. you know, he talks about franchising. He says the franchisor or is, is the person that builds the bike, but the franchisee has to get on it and ride it to make it work. And I think that's so apt to franchising that all the franchisors out there have great systems. Um, but unless the franchisee follows it, works with it, um, then it won't work. And, and the other thing I'd, I'd say about to, advice to any franchisee, particularly those that are starting out, is that, you know, you will disagree with your franchisor. Um, <laughs> And, and, and disagreement is healthy. Um, that gives good debate, but make sure that debate and that disagreement is always done in a healthy way. And and you have to remember as a franchisee that everything you do, whether it's in disagreement or agreement with your franchise or everything you do should be about strengthening your business and the system. As soon as you do something that is beginning to weaken the system because you disagree with it, then you're only ultimately hurting your own business because you know, one of the things about a franchise business, franchisees will, will build their business and they'll build a lot of value in it. But a lot of that value is the basis of the system. So if the system, you know, if the franchisee doesn't believe in the system or, or works against the system at all, then they're only going to hurt the value in their own business. So, you know, if, if you have a problem with your franchise or sit down and talk to them constructively, um, you know, because that's what makes the system and, and the model so strong
0: yeah yeah that's true i i personally actually think that's um good advice for anyone in their career to be honest with you um so i i I agree i think franchising is a great business model i think it's an option for everybody i don't necessarily think it's the solution for everybody um and actually i'd I'd encourage people to kind of really sit down and think um do i want to be a business owner what is it about being a business owner that i I actually want And, and they should understand that that entails because you're right it's very hard work whether you're with a franchise or not but i I think you can also find solutions by having that open conversation with uh, people that you work for and maybe there's just a different way to work with with them that works better for you as well or you know um if if they can't provide you that that kind of um happiness or whatever it is that brings you happiness then yeah, start to, to look around at other jobs or other opportunities. But, um, I, I think being open and, and honest with people that are supporting you or leading you, um, is the best thing because then at least, you know, where you stand, they know where they stand and it's the, it's the only way to progress, I guess, um, hiding things and trying to, to do things so that it's, there's quick wins for yourself. I, I think that always fails a little bit. And, franchising is not a, a get rich quick scheme. And, uh, you know, if somebody's looking for that, they should look, look elsewhere I think is, is, is a big part, <laughs> part of where I'm going, I guess. Um,
1: yeah, but- I think they should change what they're looking for. Cause, cause I'm not sure there are any, any get rich schemes quickly that, that are going to work. And, and I agree. And I think that the one thing that, that perhaps I should say to, to franchisees that people forget about is that, Becoming a franchisee can be very isolating um, and you have to, you have to enjoy working for yourself and you have to be able to get on and self-motivate yourself. I think, you know, in, in our business at Oscars, you know, I I get a lot of people joining because they think it's a people business and they want to be with people all the time. And they are, they spend a lot of the time, but all of their time is with customers. And, and they become, they, they sometimes become very isolated um, because People, when they come out of employment, they, they underestimate what they used to get out of meeting in the, in the coffee rooms and, and meeting around the water coolers and moaning about the boss. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when you're a franchisee and you're meeting customers all the time, you can't sit and moan about the world with customers. You've got to be upbeat with your customers all the time. Um, in Oscar, we, we try and get around that by creating what we call Coffee Connect, where we get groups of franchisees that meet every quarter, um, for coffee and can talk um, uh, and get our franchisees to talk together and network together as much as possible. So that's where they can do that sort of thing. But I think, you know, you you need to be aware that when you go into business for yourself, you know, when you're at the top and, and everybody else is working for you, you can become very isolated, although you're working with people all of the time and it's, yeah. it's a, it's a
0: it comes as a shock to people. So, no, no. Uh, well, it doesn't to me. So, working in the the recruitment industry for I don't know 14 years or whatever. Um, obviously, a lot of that is speaking to people all day long. You know that that is the role um, to make those connections. But um, th- there's a saying that used to go around the, the the office, which was this is This would be a great job if it wasn't for the candidates or the clients. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's because you know. Uh, they're expecting something from you. It's not a a friendship all the time. Um, yeah, there's occasions where there there are friendships that you develop, but you're delivering a service at the end of the day. And, um, there's expectations with that. Um, the good part about the role was the colleagues that I worked with and, and, um, you know, enjoyed having a laugh with and, and working hard towards the same goals, you know? Um, and I guess that's the same in this kind of franchising model. You've got other franchise partners who are you know, ultimately, on the same mission, especially if they believe in the the, uh, the you know the, the the values of the founder that's that's created created this business. So, in, in Oscar Foods example, I guess that's uh, you know um, to produce quality food that's accessible and um, you know honest about its approach. So, I, I'm kind of guessing that's what it is. But that's what I get from 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 speaking with you and, and taking a look at the website. So. Um, maybe you yeah. can tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you you you're spot on, and 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 the franchisees do
1: talk together, and you know part of our role as a franchisor is to create methods of them being able to talk and and, and network together. And to me, you know, from Oscar Pet Foods' point of view, you know the mm-hmm. pandemic put all sorts of challenges in our way, although our franchisees could still trade. And, and I appreciate they were very lucky compared to a lot of other businesses out there. Um, but the new ways of working with, with things like this on Zoom and, and being able to meet remotely with people and people getting used to doing that has opened up a whole new world of um, support and, and networking available to franchisees who do tend to work you know, quite away from their colleagues as well. So I think, I think it's put some exciting things in the future for franchising.
0: Yeah, sure. And, and for, for Oscar Foods during the, the, the COVID period, I guess um, pets still need food, right? And, 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 and I was um, hearing quite regularly people were looking for pets because they wanted something in their, in their life during that, that COVID time. You know, some company maybe for, for older people, but also, you know, younger families... Um seem to be um looking for, for quite a few pets as well. So I guess your business did pretty well, but how did you kind of overcome that um that lack of face-to-face in in terms of you know franchisees working with their customers?
1: Um it, it certainly put some challenges up and, and our our franchisees as I say we're allowed to trade all the way through. So we were still delivering to people at home, so we were still being able to talk to people out in their gardens and and give them the advice they need in that way. And we did a lot of work on the phones and a lot of work with Zoom and things like that with our customers. our biggest our biggest challenges was to get the message out there that we can do contact free delivery, so you know customers don't have to meet us, didn't have to. Um, lots of training to make sure our franchisees had masks and hand washing facilities in their vans and and sanitizer and and going out and sourcing sanitizer so that they had them at some stage. So all of those sort of things were there. Um, our biggest challenge was was trying to work around what what we do. Um, we, we do nutritional consultations. So normally we would go into someone's house and talk to them about the pet and then try them with the foods. So we had to do all sorts of development to try and do that talking on the phone, but then give them a kit to, of, of samples of the foods to actually do the sampling part of that test at home, um, which, which created a lot of fun and, and a lot of work. And, and, and it made us look at the whole business and made us look at how we work. And, and in many ways has made us stronger. Um, the biggest issue we had with the pandemic, to be honest, and, and you're right, you know, there, there are 3 million new dog owners out there through the pandemic. The number of people owning pets has gone up significantly. Yeah. Um, but traditionally, our, our strongest methods of our franchisees finding customers are actually going out and, and cold canvassing. So knocking on people's doors and talking to people or going out into to dog walking areas and talking to people or country shows. Um, And for the last two years, country shows just haven't happened. So, you know, our existing customer base has worked really well and has remained as loyal as ever. And our our franchisees are trading well. But acquisition of new customers has become really difficult because our model is based on face-to-face meetings, as you rightly said. And and we've had to rework that. Um, We've launched a new website and we've we've we've. Um, optimize that much more for online sales and and lots of work with google and facebook Um, so we've changed the model slightly um, to try and benefit from what's been going on um, while not losing touch with our old model because as that comes back that will be And, and the great thing is that some of those shows are now happening and and people are getting out there and and the shows are really successful for us at the moment but it's in some areas they're still not happening so we're looking forward to, to next year when the summer shows start again.
0: It's an evolution, right? But at least uh, for those franchisees, there's that that kind of um, hive mind that's kind of coming together, but also they've got a franchisor at their back who's, well, you said you've got a research and development team. So I'm, I'm guessing that's part of, this is part of it, you know, finding your way in that online world as well as the face-to-face. So um, yeah, re- really beneficial for... for, for yeah people that are in a franchise network so I want to kind of move on a a little bit now to um just briefly touch on your 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 work with the BFA so you've been um about 10 years now doing doing work with the BFA be good to understand kind of what you're doing and 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 how you're supporting that the industry really (laughs) Yeah, I've yeah, I've always believed that
1: you know if we want to continue with the industry, we've got to give something back, and I think the BFA is the strongest way of working with that. I think if the industry works with it and we we push it, then it it, it can really um, work for us. And, you know, when I when I was chair, I used to talk a lot about the membership and and the BFA is you know, it's, it's very much like a franchise. The BFA, you know, a franchise system is is an is a sum of all the franchisees, and the BFA really is a sum of all its members. Um, and one of the one of the things that I often hear from members is the BFA really need to push franchising, um, and really need to get people out there to know what franchising is. And and I look at it and think, well, you know. Of all the members, if the members are out there talking about franchising, then they've got a far louder voice than the BFA, which has a small team of people um, that does really well to coordinate it and put the resources out there. But the members have to pick those out there. And you know, if, if as a an industry, we want people to understand franchising, um, I, I think there's several things, one of which is a little bit controversial. I always think controversially, Some franchisors look for different things to call their franchisees. So franchisees like to be managing directors or partners or something like that. And I think, you know, there's a perfectly good word for what our franchisees are and that's a franchisee. And if we use that word, then people will hear the word and begin to understand what it is. And the other thing I think is, you know, when we put press releases out there, we should always make sure we talk about franchising as well. So if as a business we're saying we're creating X number of jobs locally um, rather than in the sector we're in, we should be saying in the franchise industry um, and making people understand it. And, and as members, something really simple. You know, during the pandemic, one of the things that really got on my nerves was the number of posts on Facebook you saw with people saying, as, as the shops start to reopen, we need to support the local coffee shops and the local businesses, not the not the big multinationals. And I was forever going on there and saying, yeah, but the McDonald's restaurant down the road is owned by a franchisee who's a local businessman who's invested his money in the local area, employs local people and works within the local community um, and probably employs an awful lot more than what you're thinking of as a local business. So I think we really have to get that message out there, but I think that comes from the members talking about it a lot more. Um, And I think you know, to me, the BFA has to be there to, to stand out as the bastion of standards and make sure ethical franchising is, is shouted about. You know, we shouldn't mm-hmm. hide away from the fact that we all know that there are some bad franchises out there and, and, and some people that, that try and franchise operations because they see it as a money-making material and, and don't necessarily have the, the business to support that. And the BFA, with its high accreditation, um, and standards. I think I see that as a bastion and as a good flagship brand, um, for, for a good franchisee to have, you know, and, and one of the things I would always say to a prospective franchisee is, is look for members of the BFA because you know, this, they, they have a set of standards and they've been accredited. Are there good franchisees out there that aren't members? Yes, of course there are. Um, but I think if you, if you're looking at one that isn't a member as a franchisee, you need to do a lot more due diligence because the, the the bfa flag does quite a lot of that due diligence for
0: you um, yeah i guess it reduces that risk which uh, i know a lot of people are when they're looking to to uh, invest really in in their future um yeah. whether that's in franchise or otherwise you try and minimize the risk so i guess the the bfa um stamp of approval is just one way of kind of I guess not having to do as much investigation yourself, you know, there's a, you still need to do some, but at least you've got a little bit of a safety blanket there. That's this, this Institute has actually uh, looked at it with strict um, uh, sort of set of rules around what, what those um, franchisors need to have done to be able to get this accreditation. So, yeah, I think that's, that's really important, but also important to highlight that there, there are franchise brands. I think I may have, Spoken to a few who aren't BFA members, and you know I know they've got fantastic businesses as well, but um, you just may need to do a bit more digging to make sure yourself when when looking at those brands, I guess.
1: Yeah, and, and as I say, I, there are good franchises, ors that aren't members. I just think if, if as a prospective franchisee, you've got to dig around and make sure that the one you're talking to is good. Um, that more recently with the BFA, since I since I stepped down as chair a few years ago, I've been working. Um, as an international director for them, so I'm sitting with sitting as a vice chair on the European Franchise Federation and a member of the World Franchise Council, and actually, you know, looking at the work the BFA does on its members' behalf in in standardising ethics of franchising throughout the world and working with other associations in other countries and. You know, at one stage, at the height of the pandemic, you know, on a on a weekly basis, I was meeting with forty seven other countries online, talking about what was happening in the pandemic, what what government were doing, what restrictions and what packages were in place, and using that experience to have to to inform franchisors in this country what was going on elsewhere. Um, it's a huge, hugely important job, um, and and just working with them. I mean. Just recently, I've been working on the, on the block exemption regulations that are being re, rewritten in the European Parliament at the moment. Um, and I'm not going to say that's an exciting job to be <laughs> going through those all the time, but it is hugely important. And I think in terms of regulations and in terms of laws being passed, it is it, it, where the BFA and other associations worldwide are successful franchisees never, or franchisors, never hear about that work. It's, you know, they yeah. and there's an, or you know, from, from being involved in it, I can assure you there's an awful lot going on. You know, two years ago, we were doing a lot of work with the Dutch Association because the Dutch government was trying to bring in um, a law that would stop non-compete clauses in franchise agreements, which was basically saying that if you owned a, if you had a franchise, you couldn't stop your franchisee using the know-how to operate another business in competition with the franchise in another location, which, you know, why would would you teach somebody to use your system? You know, if you're in hamburger restaurants, you know, why would you teach them and and let them open up a hamburger restaurant with your name on the door if they can open one in the next street using the same know-how? with a
0: different name it's takes it away crazy. from being a franchise and, and being a training company then right because yeah <laughs> you can train them up and then let them go well, there's, does doesn't make sense does it really um yeah especially as yeah. most most uh, franchises don't make profit as far as i can see on the um on the the franchise license fee you know that is typically going towards um uh, you know, that set up and training costs ultimately. Um, so it, yeah, that, 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 <laughs> that doesn't really just, make sense to me. It just doesn't know. make it. I
1: mean, part of the accreditation system of to become a full member of the BFA is you have to, as a franchise or show that your business stands without selling new franchises so that, you know, you would make money out of the network and continue as a network, even if you weren't selling new franchises. Um, and, and, you know, although you don't want to franchise all that's not selling new franchises I think that's very important that that's where they're making their money you know Oscar pet foods we only make money if if our franchisees sell pet food um, so yeah we have to help them sell pet food um, and I think there's a there's an important role for franchise associations throughout the whole world to get governments to understand the importance of know-how because franchising is about know-how um, you, know, you buy into a franchise, it's the know-how of the business and how important that is. And when you look at things as simple as non-compete clauses, that becomes really important um, part of the, the system. And if if the regulations go the wrong way over the world in terms of know-how and not recognizing that know-how, then that could be very harmful for franchising. And We need to yeah. protect against that because... Um, Franchising is a is a huge model. Um, I think in you know in, in Europe and, and, and perhaps less or so in the states. But I think there's there's less of an understanding in government about how important franchising can be. You go to to some places out in the Far East where the governments really understand that franchising and and getting international companies to come in and develop their franchise systems in their countries is a great way of creating employment and creating investment in the work in the in their countries, um, and governments give an awful lot of support to franchisors out in the some of the Far East countries because they recognise that, um, and I think it's we need to get people to understand it. I, I always remember as chair of the, when I was chair of the association at a BFA conference, we had an ex chancellor come to talk. Um, and I had to, I had the job of of having tea with him before he went on stage, just before his keynote speech. And I remember he said to me, he said, uh, he was looking at the list of um, companies that are attending. And he said to me, he said, he said, if I'd known all these brands were involved in franchising when I was in number, of, number 11, I would have asked the BFA to come and talk to me about franchising at that stage. Um, and, and I don't know how well it went down with him, but I just looked at him and said, well, we've never kept it a secret. Um, and it's, you know, yeah. there's, there's just a lack of understanding. And
0: Yeah, it's a shame. then I guess, Sorry. like like you said, if um, if all of the franchisees were saying "I'm a franchisee," that, that would expand it even further, right? Rather than just the franchisors. But um, I guess that comes down to the kind of stigma that's attached to the words, right? A lot of people feel it's it's not a good thing to say that because there's some negative connotations, and and I guess that's just because the the negative press. Has been louder than the positive press, so yeah, I'm, 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 passionate, so. About ch- I'm passionate about changing that and, and trying to do that as much as I can at the moment. And um, yeah,
1: most most MPs only ever hear about franchising when their constituents have a horror story. Um, but it, but one of the other things I really believe is that. You know, we can work as much as we like on, on getting MPs to understand what franchising is. But the trouble with MPs is that but just by the time you get into that relationship and get them to understand it, they get voted out and somebody else comes mm-hmm. in. So so to me, the key as an industry is for us to talk, talk and work with universities and colleges and get business people. I think it's it's absolutely criminal that we have people coming out of university with business degrees that have never heard the word franchising. Um yeah. What we need is someone to write a textbook on franchising because that's one of the problems the universities have is that there's no textbook on it. So, so they find it very difficult to put it in. But if as franchisors, we went to colleges and universities and said, let me come in and talk to your students about franchising. You know, if all of the students in university this year understood franchising then in three, year t- three years' time, all the MPs in the country would, because those people are yeah. going to be the MPs. You know that that's where we've got to do our tackle. What we've got to tackle, and unfortunately, from a franchisor's point of view, that's long term, and they want something. They want it now. Whereas if we talk with university students, it's going to be five or six years before it filters through. But unless we start doing that now, we'll always be battling against getting it through. Yeah. Very true.
0: Very true. So, Simon, so, mean, I'm, I'm con- conscious of time a little bit now. So I'm, I want to ask you a couple more questions, that um, sure. just to change the kind of um, pace a little bit. So I'm um, I'm I'm always interested to find if there's any funny, weird or strange stories that people have got in their careers Um, just helps me to smile and and, <laughs> and bring fun to my day. <laughs>
1: I I knew you were going to ask me that. And I was, I was wondering whether, whether the weirdest thing that ever happened to me, and I wasn't sure whether, whether I should mention it or not. And, and, and no matter how much you, you press me, I'm not going to tell you which brand it was with or, or <laughs> who it was. I think the weirdest thing that ever happened to me was I, I was asked as, as when I was supporting franchisees to go and see a franchisee who had decided he wanted to sell his business and he wanted to sit down and discuss it. Um, and, and when I got to his house to, to sit and talk about putting his franchise up up for sale, he explained to me that he um, he decided that it wasn't working with his wife and he was going to um, leave the country. He was going to emigrate um, and leave his wife and emigrate, which is why he needed to sell the business. Um, and he said, but we, we can't really talk about selling the business until my wife joins us. She'll be, she'll be here in about 10 minutes. She's, she's just upstairs doing something. She'll be with us in 10 minutes. So, so then we'll talk about it. And, and I can't, to this day, I can't remember what made me think that I should ask the question, um, but something triggered in my mind. And I said to him, I said, okay, well, that, that's fine. That's important. Um, your wife does know that you're, you're leaving her. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, it, and, 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 honest, and, honestly, he looked at me and he said, no, I thought it would be easier if I told her while you're here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was he being serious? <laughs>
1: uh, but yeah, he was dead, deadly serious. Um, <laughs> he, he, he was going to leave his wife, sell his franchise and leave the country, but he hadn't yet told his wife. And he thought having his, his support team from the franchise or sitting in the room with him when, when he told her would make it easier for her, um, <laughs> At, at which case I packed my books away, hide. pick my, pick my case up. And I said, I tell you what, I'll come back and see you in a week's time when you've had that conversation with your wife. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you, you do get put in some, some difficult situations, but I guess that is the weirdest one I've ever been put in.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. I guess, I guess the relationship between franchisor and franchisee is quite a personal one anyway, isn't it? But to be, <laughs> to be dragged that far away. Yeah, not quite it, that personal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, crazy. That's, uh, that's funny. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, the, the next question I wanted to ask you is, do you have any um, proud or inspiring moments from, from your career? You'd happy to share with us.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the proudest and proudest moment I had was was being uh, the last WFC meeting we had in physically um, was in um, Abu Dhabi, and um, the the World Franchise Council had decided to give um, lifetime achievement awards to to people um, in franchising, Um, and in Abu Dhabi they gave out the first five, and I was shocked but so proud to be one of those that was given an award um and to walk up on stage and to get that to with people that i have looked at as giants in the industry in the world um and and stand next to them wondering why i'm there i I thought it was you know that was that was fantastic um amazing in terms of you know inspiration and you know i've I've been fortunate to meet you know I've, i've I've been around in franchising since it's been quite young, certainly in this country. So I've met some incredible people. Um, I I was never lucky enough to meet Ray Ray Kroc, but Fred Turner, that people will know who was the second president of McDonald's and and worked with Ray Kroc. Um, I met him in my restaurants and and he was fantastic. Um, I've met founders of, of other companies in the States and, and I love meeting founders and talking about how they got involved in the business. And that's great. Um, but, but I think you, you talked about inspiring people. I think the, the most inspiring person I, I ever met in business um, was was probably, a lot of people would never have heard of him, but a guy called Bob Ray, who was the franchisee in America that decided to come to the UK um, and bring McDonald's over. Um, he did it as a, a partnership with the corporation in the States, but he came over here, he, he brought his family over, he came with three members of his team from his restaurant, in um, in America to start it and I and I always remember sitting talking to him and he was telling me how he never doubted the McDonald's system um, but he said after the first day of opening with all the people in England asking where the knives and forks were he, <laughs> neared, he, he, he said it was 50-50 whether he packed up and went home <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and look at where McDonald's are in the UK now um, but He was a fantastic guy to meet. Uh, Yeah, it's a pretty brave
0: decision really back then because obviously we're a lot more connected in the world nowadays, aren't we? And we kind of know where there's differences between maybe Asia and and Europe. You know, we're we're quite aware of it and probably prepared for um, a noodle restaurant to only have chopsticks, for example. I guess we're kind of a bit more used to that. Whereas back then, yeah, I guess... I guess... um, didn't know that the american culture that well and to have an american brand come over and say you're now going to eat it with your hands when we we're not used to that is probably yeah quite yeah and and
1: stories for another day or perhaps stories you should get somebody from mcdonald's to come on and talk about but you know when you talk about how he came over here and and couldn't find anybody that would bake the buns so because you know the buns had to be baked to his recipe and and, and the big bakers were well, you know, these are the buns we do. <laughs> Which ones do you want? And 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 setting up um, companies. Um, you know, Golden West, who is a big distribution company now and make a lot of products at McDonald's, you know, Bob had to set up with um, somebody from Hamel Hempstead to produce buns and produce a lot of the products and um, I believe the company that he, he, he co-founded a company called McKee Foods with Keystone, who was a big meat supplier in the States. And they met somebody in Milton Keynes and, and formed a company called McKee, which was a 50-50 partnership. No, I think it was, I think it was a three-way partnership between Keystone, McDonald's and this this guy in, in Milton Keynes to start it. Um, and it was a business that Bob never wanted to be involved in. He didn't want to be making burgers, but that's what he had to get involved in to get <laughs> McDonald's up and operating. Um, and then eventually diversed his interest in those companies to the people that work with him so that they could concentrate on the restaurants. Um, wow. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm not part of McDonald's anymore, so I shouldn't talk, but it could be a story you could get on from them sometime
0: yeah sure i mean it's, it's 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 interesting there's loads of stories out there about them isn't there I, I've, I've seen a few cost reduction ones obviously me working with expense reduction analysts um that kind of piqued my interest Where they, you know they're to, to save some money they just basically took an inch off the the napkin size and you know, extrapolate that across all the brand all the branches and it, it's massive cost reduction um yeah. project for them but um I'm going to ask you the final question now, now that I know that, um, you know, um, you are franchising royalty, <laughs> um, <you> know, <laughs> getting the, that, that lifetime achievement award in, in Dubai. So um, I know you've given. A, a I didn't even know with... I was
1: ready to retire when they gave me that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so I've got a
1: lot more to achieve. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Excellent. That's what I like to hear. And um, I, I I know you've given lots of advice already, um, to people that maybe are are thinking about you know buying a franchise license, but if you could pick just one, what do you think is the most important piece of advice that they should they should follow
1: i i 'd I'd, I'd have to go back to what I said earlier that that to make sure that if, if you ever disagree you know once once you've got there, if you disagree with your franchisee, work constructively in debate to debate the solution um, and work with your franchisee all the time. Because I, you know, I, I, the foundation of franchising, to me, is always when the franchisor and the franchisee work together. There is no stronger business model. And I think, you know, when franchisees and franchisors work together, this industry can take on the world. Um, it's it's a fantastic model um, when it works, and and that's what we've got to protect. Um, other than that, somebody that's looking for a franchisee. You know, find some find something with a good founder story that you enjoy, um, and and somebody you get on with in a sector that you enjoy, um, but don't worry about what experience you've got because that's what franchising about, is about to give you that training
0: um, to Excellent. to help you get involved. Well, Simon, thank you so much for the, for for that. Um, really good advice. Thank you very much for so sharing so much of your time with me, um, and and oh, sharing yeah. your your story and your journey through throughout franchising. And um, hopefully, people are listening in uh, uh, are also taking a look at Oscar Pet Foods as well now, because it sounds. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be very honest. It um, actually sounds like a lot more fun than I thought it might be as, a, as a, an opportunity. So um, may even look into it myself. You never know. <laughs>
1: it's a great system. Anybody that's interested in getting in touch with us on the website, and more than happy to talk to them.
0: Fantastic. Simon, thanks again, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Lovely. Thanks, lad. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there we go, that is my conversation with Simon Bartholomew from Oscar Pet Foods. Um, I'm going to keep this one fairly brief because I know it's quite a, a long recording but um, I could probably talk about uh, the points that Simon brought up in that conversation uh, for, for a long time. Um, Simon's a really easy person to, to get along with and um, his knowledge is is really deep in terms of running and operating businesses as well as franchising. So. Um, key points then for me really were um, that, that a kind of misconception people have around uh, McDonald's or any brand really, and, and franchising in general. And I, you know, I hold my hand up as somebody who um, thought that way years ago—that you know, McDonald's was just a place to start and move on. But actually, when you you get underneath the surface of a brand, and I've, I've found the same speaking to Simon about Oscar as well. Once you scratch under the surface and get to know Um, why the business exists and and what it's doing on a day-to-day basis you can really see that actually there's a lot more to it and and they're not all the same just because they're in the same industry so that for me I think is really really interesting and and one way that Simon highlighted to to kind of identify that uh, and I guess it was part of his advice as well is to find a franchise with a great founder's story um, I guess it's the reason why they exist, you know. Um, so for, for for McDonald's, a way to eat a bit faster, you know, um, without having to sit down with knives and forks and have it a formal occasion. For um, Oscar, it's obviously to provide a higher quality service in terms of the the food that they're they're delivering to to pets and, and to the the owners of the pets. So yeah, re- really cool. Um, to, to try and find those founder stories and it's what I'm doing with this podcast, I guess. So I, I really enjoy that as well. Um, other things were really the, the the kind of BFA and the accreditation and why why it's important. It's not the be all and end all. There are plenty of great brands without that accreditation. But again, it's just with that stamp of approval, you know, those brands have had to go through some form of accreditation some form of um, auditing in, in some ways to, to to make sure that they are ethical and are a brand that are, are trustworthy to some degree. So that that's a, an interesting piece of advice, um, but yeah, don't let it put you off completely if, if somebody isn't BFA accredited, you just have to do a bit more digging. Um, I better leave it there because, as I say, the, the, the episode's pretty long itself. But um, thank you very much for listening um, through to this. Really appreciate you, you turning up every every week to listen to these episodes. And a big thank you to our sponsor, um, Symphony. Um, make sure you go onto symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised um, to, to check out what they can do in terms of helping your business to manage inbound calls and conversations Um, making sure that you don't miss any opportunities for sales Um, so that's symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised having that bit at the end there just make sure that they're aware that um, you came through and and found us or found them from this webs, from this podcast so thank you once again Um, take care and um, catch you on the next one bye bye